Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. So today is episode three, how to build a better government. And here is our opening problem. Last time we discussed whether or not democracy is the best way to represent people. We broke down how it's impossible for a group to establish a decision that fits everyone. Eventually, we ended with the question of power, that government is a gun enforcing the rules. And today, we're going to continue that discussion, which brings us to the question of the show. How do we represent large populations? Yeah, and I've, one of the things we want to do today is a little bit different. Is Usually our style is not to read long passages, so we don't sit here and read to you. It's not National Geographic, but there are so many discussions happening today, whether or not we should have a Senate. Should we have more Supreme, Supreme Court justices? What's the role of the executive? Should they have more power, less power? Should they have, should we have the CDC running things? You know, uh, we had mandates passed through OSHA regulations, for example, how to properly represent a large group of people that we felt that including a reading today is important because it'll address all of those arguments all at once. We're going to be reading from Federalist 10, sections from it, James Madison writing, quote, by a faction, I understand a number of citizens, whether amounting to a majority or a minority of the whole, or united and actuated by some common impulse of passion or of interest, adverse to the rights of other citizens, or to the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. There are two methods of curing the mischiefs of faction. The one by removing its causes, the other by controlling its effects. There are again two methods of removing the causes of faction. The one by destroying the liberty which is ex essential to its existence. The other by giving to every citizen the same opinions, the same passions, and the same interests. It could never be more truly said than of the first remedy, that it is worse than the disease. Liberty is to faction what air is to fire, an element without which it instantly expires. But it could not be less folly to abolish liberty, which is essential to political life because it nourishes, nourishes faction, than it would be to wish the annihilation of air, which is essential to animal life because it imparts to fire its destructive agency. The second expedient is as impractical as the first would be unwise. As long as the reason of man continues fallible, and he is at liberty to exercise it, different opinions will be formed. As long as the connection subsists between his reason and his self-love, his opinions and his passions will have a reciprocal influence on each other, and the former will be objects to which the latter will attach themselves. The diversity in the faculties of men, from which the rights of property originate, is not less an insuperable obstacle to a uniformity of interests. Protection of these faculties is the first object of government. From the protection of different and unequal faculties of acquiring property, the possession of different degrees and kinds of property immediately results. And from the influence of these on the sentiments and views of the respective proprietors ensues a division of the society into different interests and parties. It is in vain to say that enlightened statesmen will be able to adjust these clashing interests and render them all subservient to the public good. Enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm. 
nor, in many cases, can such an adjustment be made at all without taking into view indirect and remote considerations, which will rarely prevail over the immediate interest which one party may find in disregarding the rights of another or the good of the whole. Okay. So that was a lot. That is a lot. That's, that's one of the first sections here. And really what he's setting up is that whenever you let's, can we take this more or less a section at a time? Sure. So it talks about there being a faction and by that, I think we're discussing the people, but being broken up into multiple factions. Right. So you could say something like just, just Democrats and Republicans. Those are factions, right? Uh, Christians, non-Christians, women, men. Married women, unmarried women, right? These, these are different groups. So when he says faction, what you want to kind of think of in modern terms, we would call them a voting block, right? But just where you live is another one. Sure. And then it said that there are two methods for removing the causes of faction. The first is destroying the liberty, which is essential Correct. to its existence. And the other by giving to every citizen the same opinions, the same passions, and the same interests. So it sounds like what it's talking about is if people all believe the exact same thing, mm-hmm. then what? So if everybody's kind of interested in the same thing, then there will be only one faction. What would that mean then? Everybody wants the same thing. So there's really not a lot of differing positions to take. So for example, everybody, just think of your family, right? When you, when you have kids, mm-hmm. okay, they still generally want the family to do well, right? They're interested in the family there, but they have at a certain point, one's going to be in high school. One's going to be in middle school. Sure. They're going to have different things that they want for themselves. Right. Oh yeah. Imagine just trying to decide on going on a ride at Disney between a five-year-old oh, and a 16-year-old. The flying elephant is not going to be attractive to the 16 year old. It's going to be very attractive to the five year old, right? Who's going to have the time of his life. Right. So even though these are people that live in the same family, they want the family to succeed. They want the parents to be happy. They want to have good relationships with each other. Even though everybody kind of has the same interests, there are still deferring actual interests between just because of the age. The idea is kind of, well, what if on a political level, we just kind of made everybody interested in the exact same things. So if every, this is kind of the Soviet idea, right? Everybody has a flat. That's the goal, right. essentially. There's only one religion, the state. We're not going to have these stupid Methodist, Catholic, none of that. Ridiculous. ridiculous. You believe in the country. And the country is a list of these things. If you don't believe in those, you don't belong. Right. You don't believe in these, you don't believe in the country. So that's the idea of, we'll just give everybody the same thing. You know, that's the Mao struggle sessions. Well, everybody will be interested in the same outcomes, in the same properties, in the same relationships, in the same values. And that will mean that there's going to be no disagreements over what helps the state because we don't, we're, we're going to not get in the way of each other. So you can kind of see that with like China, right? China is not interested in whether or not a section of its population has an idea about what their rights are. There's what's best (laughs) for China, right? Easy. That's, that's it. So that allows them to do some great things, right? They, they could do some insane things. They, they, they're currency manipulators. They've got the building islands. They're, they're literally building islands, which is insane, right? But that's because they're able to eliminate some of those. But what he's saying is this is, this is destructive. 
and you actually cause problems over time. That's why the Soviet Union falls. This is why a lot of the great tyrannical governments, they eventually fall. There are cracks, becomes a problem over time. I was trying to break down the section that said the second expedient is as impractical as the first would be unwise. As long as the reason of man continues fallible and he is at liberty to exercise it, different opinions will be formed. And I think here's the real key. As long as the connection subsists between his reason and his self-love, his opinions and his passions will have a reciprocal influence on each other. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful way of, of saying it. And I, it's just, it, it encapsulates it so perfectly. It's basically just telling all of us, what most of us already know, that when your aunt talks about how she is very interested in your life, mm-hmm. you start going, she wants something, in doesn't she? In what say. way right. is she interested she's, in my life? Right. She's interested in your life. You know, I want to be involved with you. I want to be, I want to you know, help you. And then it turns reason out. reason right. and self-love. Right. The love of your aunt, herself, she, her own. Her right. She has interests that she wants to, you know, maybe she wants to hang out with your kids. Maybe she wants to, you know, maybe you're very wealthy. She wants to be friends with you. You know, how many times has, has it happened that somebody gets a lot of money or they become very popular and all of a sudden all those people that could never be found before are suddenly, Hey, mm-hmm. remember when we were friends? Oh, wasn't it a great time? What do you want to this weekend? Let me take you out. Right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, right. It's, it's that sort of, because people are going to have a self-interest and they're not going to be perfect, right? They're, they're fallible. Then they're going to have different opinions. And that's just the difference between even just to, if you talk about the movements, if you're, t- if you're talking about, there are some people that believe, well, yeah, you don't need assault weapons, but you should be able to have like shotguns. Um, there's those people, right? And why would they come to a different conclusion? It's that connection between the reason. That's that, that's, that is exactly what he's talking about there. It's that connection between the mm-hmm. reason and their self-interest, their self-love of wanting to gain things for themselves. That comes and in therefore, there. the point of this these statements is recognizing that there will always be differing factions where people are interested with things within reason and for things for their own self-interest, for their own self-love. Correct. It actually brings to mind when I was talking to somebody, this person is a, is a socialist. They are a 100% socialist. We did not agree on anything except private schools. She was a school choice advocate. Why? Oh, great. That's great. And do you want to know why? Because why? she went to private school. She understood how private schools operated. Wow. Which is that she thinks that private schools does better than public schools right. so, generally. So she actually understood what was going on at a private school and what these, what these, and what charter schools meant and what the way these things worked. She actually understood it because she had to live in it. So she had an actual experience with it and because she had self-interest in it. So she was more likely to be favorable to those arguments. It's a weird thing though. Like, you know, you're talking to this person, this person believes Bezos is a monster, talks about, you know, basically a communist economy all the time. And then all of a sudden it's just like, well, but you know, school choice is good all out of nowhere. Right. But it's because she had that personal relationship with it that she didn't have with one of the others. If they had more of a personal relationship to what you're talking about, they would probably have a different view. Right. A lot of renters and landowners have differing opinions on who should have the power, right? They, they, and I am both. Yeah. And I have been both for a long time. Right. 
And I, I'm one of those weird people where I owned a property that I was renting out to other people and I was still renting myself. That, that is definitely unique. I've not heard. Of yeah. I, that was literally my first property was uh, one that I bought to rent out and it was figure it out. And I was renting at the same time. And it was really interesting to think through the process of, okay, I need to protect my own stuff. But at the same point, I need to value the stuff that we're like the place that I'm currently residing. And you don't think about how most renters don't think of a place as their own necessarily, unless it's like a single family house or something like right. that. Exactly. So that, that it, a lot of that plays into what he's talking about here. So he's really setting up this whole, you, you're not going to be able to get rid of factions. You can't exactly. do it. And if you and, just think that, that if we just elect the right people, well, that's not always going to be the case. And these people are still going to be subject to the same thing. Even if you elect good people, one, they are still at the risk of being between reason and self-love. Right. And in the words of my parents, people sometimes go into it thinking they're going to change things and then they don't. And then they decide either to leave or to do the best they can. And I think there's this, the end of the section that right. we just read was saying that it's in vain to say that enlightened statesmen will be able to adjust these clashing interests and render them all subservient to the public good. Enlightened statesmen will not always be at the helm, nor in many cases can such adjustments be made at all without taking into view indirect and remote considerations, which will rarely prevail over the immediate interests which one party may find in disregarding the rights of another or the good of the whole. Frankly, this is completely relevant to what we're seeing today, where you have the Democrats owning the, well, being the majority in the House and in the Senate, and they're making decisions where only half or less, some just barely half of the Senate agrees with something, which means a grand majority of the states don't actually agree with them about what, where the direction should go for the country. And an indirect consideration is that the more your debt to GDP goes up, you actually start to slow your own economy down. It's actually, a, it's actually a thing that it's mathematical. It's, it's mathematical. So, but they're still spending and they're still raising the debt ceiling. So how, how could this be possible, right? They're not considering this. Well, because they have an immediate interest, right? They have an agenda. They have a thing that they're attempting to do. And so even though, yeah, that's a thing, yeah, they, they're not, they're going to disregard it. They're not, they're going to say, yeah, the good of the whole, the economy may go down, but we're trying to do, right. That's, that's what he's talking about here. What he's saying, these adjustments, they're not always going to be just purely for the good of the whole. They may be for an immediate interest. Mm -hmm. They are all aware that the more they spend money, the more they enrich themselves and their donors. Every single one of them is aware of that. And I would have to go and find. There's a number of studies that they did to find that if they increased the debt, then the value of the stock market would go up significantly. In fact, if you look up, you can fact check me on this, but if you look up the GDP of the country and if you look at the stock market of the country, when we started taking on lots of debt, our stock market started to go wild. And so it's been a constant cycle of we pump money into the, the stock market, the stock market goes up and then continues right. to do so for dot, dot, dot forever. And if you, and again, if, yep, well, that's for some of them, right? If you're, if you're a 60, 70 year old Senator, right? You only need 20 years, right? Cause that's how long you're going to be in power and alive. So then it can that's be how the long next guy alive. Right. So yep. why, why destroy yourself now? 
Why not let the next guy destroy themselves, right? Mm-hmm. right? That's that self-interest that enters into the equation. So obviously we've now talked about that the causes of faction here. So we're going to continue with the next section here, which is going to talk about controlling the effect of it. So once again, quoting from James Madison, Federalist 10. The inference to which we are brought is that the causes of faction cannot be removed and that relief is only to be sought in the means of controlling its effects. If a faction consists of less than a majority, relief is supplied by the Republican principle, which enables the majority to defeat its sinister views by regular vote. It may clog the administration, it may convulse the society, but it will be unable to execute and mask its violence under the forms of the Constitution. When a majority is included in a faction, the form of popular government, on the other hand, enables it to sacrifice to its ruling passion or interest both the public good and the rights of other citizens. To secure the public good and private rights against the danger of such a faction, and at the same time to preserve the spirit and the floor of popular government, is then the great object to which our inquiries are directed. Let me add that it is the great desire. Let me add that it is the great desiderum by which this form of government can be rescued from the opprobrium under which it is so long labored, be recommended to the esteem and adoption of mankind. By what means is this object attainable? Evidently by one of two only. The existence of the same passion or interest in a majority at the same time must be prevented, or the majority, having such coexistent passion or interest, must be rendered by their number and local situation unable to concert and carry into effect schemes of oppression. The impulse and the opportunity to be suffered to coincide, we well know that neither moral nor religious motives can be relied on as an adequate control, are not found to be such on the injustice and violence of individuals, and lose their efficacy in proportion to the number combined together, that is, in proportion as their efficacy becomes needful. So let's take another break here because he used a lot of words. He really talked about a lot, even though this is a smaller section here. Mm-hmm. So he's, what he's setting up is that you can't control the causes of fashion. Everybody who's tried has failed. Mm-hmm. So now we're left with controlling the effect. So their factions are going to arise. There's going to be Christians, Muslims, the Democrats, Republicans, moms, dads. There's going to be North, South, East, West. There's going to be all these groups all trying to get together and gain power, right? So what are we going to do? So I, I kind of want to take this similarly a step at a time because there's so much here and part of it, the concepts can be pretty strong and I'm reading it. If a faction consists of less than the majority, then they rely on the Republican principle, dot, 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 uh, right. enables the majority to defeat its sinister views by regular vote. When we talk about by regular vote, does this, so would this apply to something like the Senate today where it's a 50-50, but the vice president can make a decision and it passes? How would a regular vote keep it from going? Right. The Republicans cannot pass anything by themselves in the House. They can't. Right. Right. And they need some people to come over and join them. So the idea, you, you could have the most radical anarchist, you know, like Rand Paul. Rand Paul cannot do anything by himself. Sure. Right. Even though there's a lot of people that think like Rand Paul in this country, they're not able to simply just do whatever they want. They can't just set not. up the government the way they want. It's simply voted down by everybody else. 
right? And again, it may clog the administration. There might be mm -hmm. holdups. We call it gridlock. It may convulse the society, meaning there might be, you're talking about memes, Facebook posts, battles, arguments, all that sort of things. It might. But it will be unable to execute and mask its, quote, violence under the forms of the Constitution. Why does it say violence in this context? So he's specifically talking about when a majority is looking to do harm, right? So okay, most of the time, everybody is like, for example, everybody's very interested in free speech. But what happens when people start getting censored, right? I, people can say, you know, you can just look at COVID, right? How many people have said, it doesn't matter if you have freedoms, this is for everybody, right? How many people have come to that conclusion? which is an insane statement, right? There are people mm -hmm. who quite literally are like, well, actually we should just be able to, <laughs> you know, we should be able to put you in camps. People say that, right? There's a group of people that say that. So they have a sinister design on your rights, that group of people. So, mm -hmm. however, they're not enough to actually take away rights. So the, the problem, as many people have said, is not that democracy, when everybody agrees on something that's good, then there's no issue. The problem is addressing what mm -hmm. happens when somebody comes along and wants to take over through the, the regular means of election and in, put into place oppression, right? You're the Weimar Republic, then the Nazis came in. Mm -hmm. right? How do you stop that? Right? You know, if you're left wing, for many of those people, Trump was the worst thing to ever happen again, and that needs to never happen again, right? Or you may think that the Republicans' bill is making sure that they can have an unfair advantage at the voting box by suppressing the vote. So how do you stop that? Well, if they're the minority, no problem. So then what happens if they're a majority? Because there's the two options, right? They're either the minority, they can't get anything done, or they're the majority, and then they can vote it in. So now mm -hmm. what do you do when there's a majority? That's where he goes in and he says, problem with popular government is that when, if you go by majority, as long as they're majority, they can do whatever they want. Which could still be problematic. Can still be problematic because majorities don't always have the interest of minority at heart. Because they're between reason and self-love. Right. So to secure the public good and private rights against the danger of such a majority faction and preserve popular government, democracy, Republican. And there, he say, this is where we're really looking for. This is what we're working on. That, that's, this is what everybody's trying to solve. If the impulse and the opportunity be suffered to coincide, we well know that neither moral nor religious motives can be relied on as adequate control. I, I, I this reads to me like we can't use anyone's personal morals as a means to rely on that things would be done well or to the good of all. But just think of the abortion debate, right? I, you, both sides have moral claims or religious. Does it mm -hmm. affect the other side? No. Not usually. Absolutely. And this is totally relevant today as well. Right. Because of Texas, for instance, with the six-week, more like the first heartbeat, bill yeah. where I was, we, we can shout out other podcasts here. Yeah. So I listen to the daily almost on the daily and I don't agree with everything that they have to say, but I consider it a part of my growth that 
I can listen to things and come to conclusions about what they're talking about, even if I don't come to the same conclusion of what they share. And one of those things is they had a podcast in regard to uh, women traveling to Kansas in order to get abortions that had just barely passed six weeks and had a heartbeat. And it's really fascinating because, like you said, there's moral claims to both sides. On one hand, you have women in Texas who are saying, some of them are just straight up saying that they can't afford to have another child. And then I'm sure there are some of the extremes where they're middle-aged and they just don't want another child, where it's being used as a form of birth control, which is, of course, horrible. But those aren't going to be the stories that anybody focus on, despite at one point being somewhere around the majority of what those abortions were. What we see now is Texas is really pushing against the fabric of the rest of the country, mostly blue states, that are saying you can have abortion anywhere up to uh, full-term birth. And so in response to that, they as a state are fighting it all the way down to the very base margin they can get away with, which they won't get away with it. We've had conversations about this before where we, at just a rehash, if Congress were to have decided one way or another what it should be, then it could be decided for all the states. It's just never happened because everybody likes their money too much, which then inlays the problem that because of donor funding, they would prefer to have more donor funding to fill their own self-love than recognize the reason relationship that we could be done with this debate to the degree that it impacts us every time we hear heart-wrenching stories if we could agree to come up with a way to be central for the country that everybody can agree with even if they're not happy with it. Yeah, and, and that's... That's where you can see, yeah, the impulse and the opportunity, right? If, if you have the House, the Senate, and the presidency, and then you have the impulse to do something to just cram down your opinion or what you want to do, then somebody's standing up and going, well, hey, that might not be fair. Mm -hmm. It's not an adequate control. It's not going to work. I mean, you can talk about when they removed, right, when they went, when they, when they did the nuclear option and they, they changed the rules so that you just needed 51 votes for judges. The reason they did that is because Republicans were objecting to judges that were being put up. And, and the so thing is, they, the Republicans were saying, I think it was, oh my gosh. It was McConnell. McConnell, McConnell saying, yes. Yeah. Mitch McConnell straight up said, you will rue the day that yeah. you made this decision because it won't be long before we're in power again. And it, it was stunning. It was truly stunning because the Republicans in four years of Trump era were able to pass I'm pretty sure a record number of judges in a year. And I thought it was a record for four years as well. Right. And the funny thing is, is the complaints against them were, you know, hey, these Republicans are doing it just to further their agenda. It's like, well, then what were the Democrats doing? Right. right. Well, they were doing it for altruistic reasons. But you can no. see how that self-interest of people who didn't want the Republican justice, but want the Democrat justice just entered into politics. And, and the thing is, where it goes is conservative Senate recognizes that if they put in a ton of lawmakers who are of a consistent conservative bent, and I, don't, and I mean in their respect to the law, how they ascertain the law, we're talking about judges who want to uphold the law as it is written as opposed right. to right from the bench. And I think that this is actually really 
an incredibly powerful thing, even for the Democrats. Like, obviously, they would prefer there be people on the bench who would pass laws by way of decisions, when in fact that what we're doing here is that conservatives passing slightly more conservative judges that will uphold the law means that they will also uphold laws that are written into law by Congress, even in a time like this, when you have the Senate and the House controlled by Democrats. They're not going to go to a place where they say we're not going to uphold the laws that the Democrats passed unless they're unconstitutional and unlawful. And so it actually makes us stronger it is to be able to back up those laws in the court system and say I'm, there may be laws where we say where the judges have to say to people, I'm sorry, but it's the law. And that might be something that has to be struck down at the at Congress or at the Supreme Court. But at the same point, that means that it's going to help our set of law within this country to remain strong. And I think that's ultimately going to help the Democrats because they're going to pass things anyway into law that the law will have to uphold. Right. And that, and again, so that's the problem. If so, is it more self-interesting to have justices who are going to vote your way? Right. We don't vote on court justices. I think that's the big part is if there were ever. I think it's actually part of the, the great marriage. Well, some states you do, actually. Some some states you do. Okay. So there are some states where you actually do vote that's on your true. local judges. And the, but that's at the state level. Mm-hmm. Um, not the federal. Yeah, so not federal. But, you know, for an appointment, if, I, if I'm talking about federal, right, I want to appoint justices, right? I remember that one of the things they floated last year was, well, the current problem is there's all these Republicans on this court. So they came up with this idea of, well, there's nothing in the Constitution saying we can't rotate what justices sit on it. It just says we have to have a Supreme Court and a chief justice. Right. So the idea was, well, why don't we just literally take all of the conservatives and literally just shove them off to lower courts and put on lower court justices we like on the Supreme Court? And then we can just get the votes we want when we want them. So this would actually bring up an interesting question. Yet again, I was listening to another podcast uh, from The Daily where the question that they posed was, why does the court, specifically the Supreme Court, why do we follow them? And I thought it was such an interesting question to phrase because when it comes down to it, the court has power because we believe that they do. And we respect them when they say that something happens. They're a paper tiger, yeah. They are 100% a paper tiger. And whenever they, whenever the public's faith in the courts drop, even just a few points, they will go out and start doing talk shows. They will start talking to radios. They will go on TV and they will tell the country about the importance of having a Supreme Court that is respected and followed and the benefits that it gives everyone that we all follow the Supreme Court when they say things, because when it comes right down to it, the only people who are really following through on things when they do this are the police and the army. Like those are the people who are following through. And of course, the government agencies and states. But at a certain point, you'll notice there are times where maybe Biden says something and the states disagree and say, we're not doing it. That is not right. the case when the Supreme Court passes something. We don't just say we're not doing it. We say the Supreme right. Court said that, so we have to find, if we're going to get it struck down, we have to either get something to do with Congress to happen, or we have to have some actual suit go through that goes up to the Supreme Court to override it for that slim issue we have. 
Right. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely can seem like that. Like, why do we listen to them? And, I, and it's actually been for a long time that that's just sort of been the way it, my, it my is. My point so being never consider it. that if we, yeah. we were to cycle the, all the conservatives out or say in a few years, let's cycle all the, like the, the quote, liberal wing of the judges out, I can tell you the court system will lose all, if not 50% of its faith like that the country has in it. Right. You, you would completely destroy the legitimacy of it, even though you would get what you want in the moment. That's right. And that's that momentary self-love that we have to avoid. And I think for the most part, it's been avoided in the courts, especially the Supreme Court, but only by the purest of threads that they are very much trying to remain separate from the Todayisms of political minutiae. Right. And so the very last section we have kind of addresses that and promises a cure. So once again, we're quoting from Federalist 10. A republic, by which I mean a government in which the scheme of representation takes place, opens a different prospect and promises the cure for which we are seeking. Let us examine the points in which it varies from pure democracy, and we shall comprehend both the nature of the cure and the efficacy which it must derive from the union. The two great points of difference between a democracy and a republic are, first, the delegation of the government, and the latter, to a small number of citizens elected by the rest. Secondly, the greater number of citizens and greater sphere of country over which the latter may be extended. The effect of the first difference is, on the one hand, to refine and enlarge the public views by passing them through the medium of a chosen body of citizens, whose wisdom may best discern the true interest of their country and whose patriotism and love of justice will be least likely to sacrifice it to temporary or partial considerations. Under such a regulation, it may well happen that the public voice, pronounced by the representatives of the people, will be more consonant to the public good than if pronounced by the people themselves, convened for the purpose. On the other hand, the effect may be inverted. Men of factious tempers, of local prejudices, or of sinister designs may, by intrigue, by corruption, or by other means, first obtain the suffrages and then betray the interests of the people. Question resulting is, whether small or extensive republics are more favorable to the election of proper guardians of the public wheel. Interest. And it is clearly decided in favor of the latter by two obvious considerations. In the first place, it is to be remarked that, however small the republic may be, the representatives must be raised to a certain number in order to guard against the cabals of a few. That, however large it may be, they must be limited to a certain number in order to guard against the confusion of a multitude. Hence, the number of representatives in the two cases, not being in proportion to that of the two constituents, and being proportionally greater in the small republic, it follows that if the proportion of fit characters be not less in the large than in the small republic, the former will present a greater option and consequently a greater probability of a fit choice. End quote. That was a doozy. It is. But what he's talking about here is, so right now, the average U.S. congressman represents about 700,000 people. Okay. There's actually an interesting situation where Montana has one congressman for about a million people. Ooh. But Rhode Island has just a few thousand more. So it actually has two congressmen. So that, so Montana has this gigantic state that can fit like, you know, 10 Rhode Islands. They have one representative. Rhode Island has two. So Rhode wow. Island has 500,000 per but Montana has one per one pillion. Is that going right? to change potentially? So it, 
It, it depends on, it depends on um, the, the census. Yeah. yeah. When they do the reallocation and things like that. And then how many people live in Montana. And then, so you, you actually can get them moved around that way. So this is actually sort of what he's talking about, where he's saying, so we have the problem of if it's, what about when it's so small, like you can't have 10 guys, mm -hmm. right? Because then all 10 can just kind of say to each other, well, what if nobody else tells each, if nobody says anything, we can kind of do what we want, right? right. So you want it big enough that you can't just have these 10 guys, you know, who go to the club together, run the country. Right. And then you also don't want just sort of this galactic Senate where there's just thousands of people represented. Okay, I have to throw out there Star Wars reference when you say like galactic yes. Senate. Obviously, we're talking about Palpatine and his incredible destruction of, I don't know, the human race. That's not quite right. correct. <laughs> but you can see how he was able to sneak his way in, right? right. He was like, there were so many members, there are so many delegates. Mm -hmm. He was able to sneak his way in through using intrigue, Used through using power. Right. interest, people, strength, army, and there's just the right amount of confusion to get people to rally around him. Because there was, there was, you, people were so overwhelmed with just being in the Senate with the amount of stuff going on mm -hmm. that nobody was paying attention to whether or not this guy may have orchestrated a takeover. And then all of a sudden you had the Galactic Empire arrive. So basically what he's saying is you could, like, for example, when we first started the nation, there were about, you know, 57,000 people per representative, mm -hmm. right? So if that held today, there'd be over like 5,700 representatives <laughs> for the exact same number. Oh my gosh. Right. That's, that's a lot of representatives. Maybe we're paying a lot more in taxes. Right. But a lot of people say, well, that's what should happen because these 700,000 people they're not caring about the small groups because it's just whatever gets you that 51%. And so what we need is more representatives. So a lot of people talk about that. But wouldn't that also mean we have less that we can be able to listen? Like we're not going to be correct. able to listen to all of those people. There just isn't enough. And let's think about it. If you're one of those representatives, your power decreases with that number. So for example, right now, let's say you want to peel off a couple people, like if you're a Republican, right? And you want to defeat a Democrat bill, you only need about 20 or 30 votes and that bill's dead. Yep. So you need to convince 20 or 30 people. It's not so bad. Now imagine having to convince two to 300. I'm not even sure Pelosi would be into that. Could you imagine having to go and talk to all those more House representatives? Like it's already crazy. Wait. It's in the hundreds. So now the only option, if you want to actually get your stuff passed, is to join that larger group. So. Right now we talk about the problem of there's Democrats and Republicans. That's kind of it. You can't, you've either fit into one or the other. Right? So Bernie Sanders, yeah, he doesn't agree with a lot of the other Democrats. He has different ideas, but his only option is really to kind of join in with them because otherwise he can't do anything on his own. Do you think that would get better or worse if there's suddenly, instead of, you know, 200 Democrats, there's 3,700 of them? It would be absolutely worse. Right. Would he have more or less of a chance to get his priorities in? Frankly, right. they'd never get a word in. Exactly. There would be the pe and then you actually have more incentive to be the guy on top. You would give people because you're the guy's agenda. So you become the guy on top. So that means more corruption, more blackmail because, Hey, I want to get stuff done. 
but nobody's listening to me. Well, I need to make them listen to me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the issue here. So basically there's two kind of ideas that have kind of come up recently. This is one of the reasons we read it. The two ideas have sort of been to give everybody the same representative amount or increase the amount, which we just sort of talked about. And so the first one, it kind of makes sense, right? Why don't we just, you know, everybody gets 10, right? There's 10 representatives mm-hmm. and two senators, right? right? And that, that's just it, right? Well, that actually... The answer to that is the purpose of the house. The house is supposed to represent the interests of people and the Senate is supposed to represent the interests of states. Right. So, you know, I live in a specific congressional district in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Right. My interests, like there, for example, we do have, like there are actual sections in Massachusetts where they're Republican counties. Like, like they actually have Republican representatives in Massachusetts, even though they really don't have any power. Right. But they still are Republican areas. Right. You don't want, however, that one area managing to just sort of take over everywhere. You don't want them to be equal as everywhere else because there are more Democrats than Republicans, a lot more Democrats than Republicans. So you want those lots more Democrats to have the actual power because they are representing people who are the majority. But you don't want to just snuff out the smaller guy. So the idea is the House represents the interests of people and then the Senate represents the states, which is a larger group. So, so basically you can have small parts of the group come up with their opinions and then they are checked by the larger group that they're all part of. Mm -hmm. So New York is supposed to matter more than Montana in the house. (gasps) Horrifying. It is right. But a lot of people would say that's not fair. It's not fair. It's not not, not fair, but it's, it's not fair in the sense of being equal. It's fair based on the construction of having that bicameral legislature. Mm-hmm. And so we're not parliament. Right. It, it's that idea that there are two separate roles that each one of them are playing. So they are actually supposed to be tilted in that direction for. Well, they're all, it's interesting is if you think about it, they're actually both tilted the opposite direction. Like it's actually right. fascinating when you think about it, that we have a bunch of representatives who represent the groupings of people. And then we have two per state that represent the Senate that represent each of the states and the state interests, which is amazing because each of the states offer a lot of different resources. It would be pretty simple to think about this from the perspective of, say we're like the Hunger Games, like the the country of Pan Am, and we have a major city and they have a ton of people who live there and they're supported by cough, 13 colonies you know, not 12, 13 colonies. And <laughs> you'd have a fair number of people living in each of those colonies, but you have a concentrated number of people in the city, probably more in the city than any individual area combined. Now, if this were the United States broken up into a city and 13 colonies, you wouldn't have to be concerned about those people in the colonies just being uh living in dumpsters, essentially, living in a terrible life because they would be making money. They would be well compensated by the city. It'd be like talking about California being Hollywood and having Montana or like suburb, not suburbs, like the, the farmland of you know Indiana or Ohio, where they're supporting Hollywood, but Hollywood is supporting them through the way of money versus Pan Am, where you're using slavery essentially indentured servitude. Right. And the, the, you would uh, basically you, with your big, large city, you want those people to have 
a lot of say because they are a big, mm-hmm. large city. There's a lot of people there. You want to give them their and voice. And they're not generating and nothing because they wouldn't be able to right. survive to live there if they didn't generate something that could be paid for. And, but you do not, you don't want it to be the case that they can overrule the other 13. Exactly. Right. That, that would which be. Which in their case, the they did, which is why right. that country ultimately falls. Well, the city. Yeah. Which is, I think, I think that she wrote the book based on sort of that. The philosophy. And, um, the philosophy of that and, and historical stories. But the, the other option, of course, then is to increase the amount, right? Now we can do that. You actually can increase the amount. We have increased the amount. Um, we tended to increase it almost every time we added more states, we tended to just increase it. And then as we got more like population increased, I think they would add more. And then we sort of just sort of decided 435. That was kind of it. So there's a couple of ideas. One is the Wyoming rule, which would make the population of the smallest state the basis for the representation ratio. So basically the smallest state has this many representatives. And then based on that is the new, is how everybody else does. So as the smallest states continue to increase in population, then everybody else gets representatives added on, which would give us about, it depends on which plane you go with, but right around four, 545 to 547 members, right? So just under 550 um, house members following the 2010 census. Mm-hmm. So you can have different ways of doing it that that would be under the Wyoming rule. There's other ones that would, you know, maybe 700. Some people suggest to just go to a thousand. We're just going to have a thousand because you know, people like even numbers. There's a lot of these different ideas, but here's kind of the question again, large cities are blue areas, right? Usually. So the more, so under our current rules of apportioning, if you add more representatives, where are they going to go? The cities. So. Guess who's really into the idea of expanding the number of representatives? It's not the Republicans. Right. And, and the thing <laughs> is, this wouldn't increase or, or this rather, this wouldn't decrease the quote Republican advantage at the Senate. You'll, you'll see different right. things on YouTube where you'll see some newscaster make the ridiculous charge of uh, gerrymandering having to do with why the Democrats don't always own the Senate. And they have to be reminded that gerrymandering doesn't exist in the Senate. And and then they immediately get embarrassed and try to defend themselves like they're not crazy. And because it's really interesting because, okay, if we increase the number of representatives, nothing actually happened. It would be like saying that Washington should be its own state and say, okay, so now you get two Senate seats for a city. Like we really don't need to have the city of, you know, Pan Am become Washington, D.C. Like, we really don't. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, again, why do they want, why do, why do the Democrats want this? Because it would probably break the tie that kind of goes on mm-hmm. in the Senate recently. It, and what would it do? It would allow them to immediately pass most of their stuff. Right. When for the most part, there's a lot of land and a lot of people who live on that land that don't agree. It just happens to be the people who don't live in the cities. Right. And it, the, so there's, there's, of course, that political question. You know, McConnell, when he, he raised the debt ceiling, McConnell raised the debt ceiling when he was in there and he got every Republican to vote for it. Right. And then now he's saying he shouldn't raise Because they're playing politics. They right. always, in as politics, a person did, yeah. who likes to lean conservative, but frankly just starts feeling more and more like an independent because of the things that are done from both <laughs> sides, they always come together to raise the debt ceiling. Yes. That's and give right. themselves raises. They're always time. good about that. 
Yes. This is why <laughs> the convention of the states someday may change that. Yeah. So, but the, you know, why is McConnell doing this? Well, because McConnell knows that when you default on the debt, you're going to unveil all of the problems that we have spent ourselves into. From every angle. So. Total lack of faith right. in Senate, Which, democracy, constitutional right. so, republic as it stands. So he does not have the ability right now because he doesn't have the House and he doesn't have the Senate unless, you know, he's not going to rely on Joe Manchin. Mm -hmm. He's not, right? Manchin's a Democrat. He's not going to rely on him joining the Republicans. So he's putting down basically a, a red line where he's saying, hey, we are not going to vote to raise the debt ceiling. They said, do it yourself. And you have, right. So you need 60 votes to, to invoke cloture and you're not going to get them from us. So what that means is you're not going to get to raise the debt ceiling, which means your credit rating will downgrade. The stock market will dive. Interest rates will go through the roofs and it'll be all you. And he's saying, I basically he's saying, if you want to go this route, then I'm going to do this to you. Right. So uh, people like to play it as like, you see McConnell's evil. It's, it's never that simple. It's, it's never like, I, I hate when people do that. We're like, well, McConnell wants to do this because he hates people's lives. Like really, that's, that's the only, only reason. He's, he's sitting there like, how can I hurt people? And I know a lot of people think that's how the Republicans or the Democrats operate. They're not always like that. They have agendas, but they're not here just because they, they want to hurt. They're there because they want to make money. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not always sure that they want to make, yeah. I th a lot of them have ideas. They're bad ideas, but they think they're, so they bought into the, what is it? Their own benevolence. Yeah. And the thing is what happens when you it, just think of your own lives, when somebody is not interested in your idea, there is always an impulse to simply overrule them. Now you don't have the power to always just overrule them because mm -hmm. you can't do anything to them. What happens when you have the power of the greatest superpower mm -hmm. the world has ever seen? You try you sometimes have that temptation to just overrule them. Right. So, you know, this, the cut, you know, a lot of people are like, so there's no hope. We're just stuck with gridlock mm -hmm. and we're going to do anything like this is what's going to get through that. I've been telling people for the last few weeks recently that it's real sad that the best chance that we have is to gridlock between the Senate and the House come 2022, just so then our financial markets will start doing better and they'll have to start respecting each other again. Right. And that's. One of the ways you represent large populations is to make it so that a overwhelming number of factions have to all want the same action. Yep. Right. Well, it's in one of the Canada, ways you do it, so. for instance, they are broken up into so many factions. It's four or something that they have to partner. Each group must partner with other groups to make Correct. anything happen. And I'm sitting here listening to whatever podcast yep. that was going interesting that kind of means they have to work together even if somebody becomes like head of their congressional like power right it's actually called the minority government which is just a wild concept but it happens in a lot of multi-party where a lot of where you have prime ministers a lot of those governments you have that you have to put together a ruling government they actually structure it that way that idea is taken from the american idea of addressing mm -hmm. factions right that's it's actually taken from that. they don't do it the same way but it's taken from the same sort of goal it um, also means that they don't have to do things like having populists become the head of, say, the Republicans. They could just start their own party and maintain some level of power. Right. The, we typically put everything through the, the parties because the parties have actually just captured so many right. factions. And one of the reasons that we're actually stuck with a two-party system now, and it's not as 
free forms it used to be is because the discussion is two separate Americas. It, and I know people like that simplistic, but I literally do mean that there are two different visions of America that are in competition. That's why it's really two parties right now. We used to have a lot more parties, especially on the local level or the state level. There used to be a huge amount of different parties and there were all these different groups and people from this group or that group, but it's, it's now because every, this is actually our way forward for today is that we're going to be talking about that our current issue is the attempt to ram through everything on a national level. Yeah. That's part of our current issue. We are kind of making everything must be run by and from the federal government. Even state governments, they really have to work mm -hmm. with federal governments. They're just, they're just the kind of extensions, the federal government. I mean, even when you talk about the, the For the People Act, which was the, the voting bill that the Democrats put forward, that federalized elections, right? And they're, they're, reasoning for it was, well, the states are doing all these ridiculous things with voter suppression, though there's really no evidence that it's voter suppression, but still that was a clean, that was, so they said, so we're going to just elevate it to the national level, right? Like, can you be a Republican and vote Not for red really, flag no. laws? No, you'd yep. be out, you'd be out yep. of office in two seconds, right? So adding more numbers or changing the number makeup is not actually going to mm -hmm. solve this issue. Because it's, we have to stop thinking about it in terms of population representation and then faction representation. That's what you kind of want to take away from what Madison's writing about, what he makes it very clear that the problem is not, if, if everybody agrees on something, there's really not an issue, right? It doesn't matter what form of government, right? When, when a king did something and everybody liked it, was there really an issue? No, there wasn't, right? Because everybody liked it. It's what happens when somebody, when the king decided to do something that people didn't like, or that took away liberty from them, he's like, well, see, this is where your problem is. What happens when, you know, you have 51% says, we're going to do this to you. And you're like, well, that, excuse me, that's my right. Mm -hmm. That's my house. That's my this. And then going to do there. And so he was well, saying, that's the problem. We've seen this within the Senate as well. Because we have the situation with the $3.5 trillion bill, where even though the Democrats have 50 and the Republicans have 50, you have uh, Sonoma and Mansion saying, well, Cinema, yeah, Cinema. We, they're yeah. standing together, yeah. which makes them much stronger than one person saying, We're, we just can't do it. Right. Why? Because their states are a bit red and they happen to be Democrats in red states. They would be thrown out for going the other direction. In fact, I have heard Manchin say that he dares Democrats to to try to get someone else to run in his state because they would lose. He is gaining. Right. He's gaining popularity for fighting this. Correct. There, there are more people. Yeah. I think Trump won West Virginia by 30 So it's points. one of those things where he's recognizing their populists and Republicans, Republican populists that support his position there. And I don't know the story for cinema, but I have to assume it's similar. Arizona. It's close. She won close. She knows. She knows that if she shoots left, radical left, that she's going to, she may lose that 2%. And that's the thing. It was a shocking thing that Arizona went Biden come you know, 2020, it was so shocking that it has been under a recount for months and just recently they, they finished that recount. And so it's one of those things where cinema would be aware then, given Arizona, that it's likely that it would be red come 2022. Like just the writing is on the wall today 
that they should stand in the way if they want to keep right. their seats, which is shocking because obviously as Democrats, generally Democrats have to stand together to continue to be reelected. Right. And that's the, that's the power of factions at work. And that's why Madison is saying, there's no way you can control this. You have to work with the effects. And he's saying that this effect, mm -hmm. this actually is helpful because now what do they, they need to do? To they have them. to convince Republicans. And they're not going to get them. If they can't convince the Republicans. Right. So then, then you need to go back to the vote. So now you have to go back mm -hmm. to the people and he's saying, that's what we want. You have to go back to the people. So let's take it one more step. You've also, we have an ex, we have a liberal socialist wing of the house now that's saying that they're not going to pass. What was it? They were, they're not going to, they were going to approve the infrastructure bill and the first one, the one that was right. bipartisan in the Senate until the $3.5 trillion bill gets passed in the Senate. I'm not sure if this has ever really happened before at this level. It certainly never happened at this dollar amount where you have something gridlocked in the Senate right. and the House by Democrats. That is insane by the ruling party. And this is going to blow up. And so here's the quote that I, I remember that's going to just get real crazy is when Biden was saying back when he said during when he was running for president that the reason why Obama and Biden didn't do more was because of the gridlock of Republicans after they lost their full majority. And it's like you lost your full majority because you passed Obamacare, had a fine for people that didn't have health care, hurting people the most who can't afford it. And then recognizing that right. now here we are where you, you're doing it again. You're doing it literally again, where you have full control of the Senate and the House and you're going to lose it. And you might not even accomplish anything. They might literally accomplish nothing because if we get to 2022, they might stop these conversations and start moving in the direction of, oh, shoot, we have to run for reelection. Yep. And this is how you can see minorities are protected mm -hmm. in America because we don't construct a round. How many people live there? We construct around the idea that there are going to be different types of people who live there and they all have to then work together to get stuff done. So we construct around that idea. So you need minorities, you need small groups to all get together. And then when you all get together, you actually can pull people away from, you know, just this one guy coming in and taking over because instead of just who's got the largest group of people, it's actually who's got the, who is your faction wants this, my faction wants this. We got to work together to achieve it. So we have to kind of meet in the middle on this, right? Yep. They need mansion and cinema. Yep. And we've got those factions. We've got the moderate Democrats. We've got the liberal Democrats. Is there another group of Democrats that I'm missing here? Not the national level, but at the national level, that's what we have. And then within the conservatives, you have the conservative Republicans, you have the moderate Republicans, and then you have the Republicans that are just Republican in name only. That's what you've got. Yeah. You've got Romney and Cruz in the same group, right? But yeah, so that, that's how you can see mm -hmm. these things playing out, that the, the structure forces these ridiculous things. Norm, in most states up until when America was founded, if you had the majority, doesn't matter if it was nobles or however you did your construct, you're the majority you want. Right. And what the, and what they said is the problem with that is, is it very quickly mm -hmm. just goes back to being a king because somebody comes in and takes over. Somebody has a design. There's mm -hmm. always somebody that wants power. Always. Right. And so how do you put in place, how do you put in place that this, but we still have to represent people. Like you still need a government. You still have to put the government in place and you still have to have people who are in the government. So you do that, but then you have the problem of, well, what happens if somebody mm -hmm. decides that they want to be the dictator? So this is where, this is where you can see in action, 
these protections where the ruling party in America shot themselves because of in factions. Foot. They shot their own because of the way that we set it up. In fact, it actually used to be, it used to be different. The state legislature used to send, used to vote okay. on the senators. So if you think about this, there would not be Joe Manchin and you would, there would not be Kristen Sinema. Why? Because there would be Republicans. Most right. likely, given our current political climate, now all things being equal, right? You know, they would have sent two Republicans. And so you would not have, you actually would have the House be Democrat Makes and sense. the Senate would be Republican. Why? Because that would reflect the population of the United States, is, right? Most of the population centers are Democrat, where the majority of it is, that's them. And then the states mm -hmm. are mostly Republican. And frankly, generally, I would say that the best thing for America tends to be a blue house and a red Senate. Now, it might make me crazy because there'll be so much stress, like uh, the House will pass D.C. stateship, and I will just read the headlines yeah. and be like, who is going to read these headlines and think that D.C. is about to become a state when it will never in my lifetime become a state? Yeah, well, the, a lot of people are like, I actually, I know people who say they read the headlines. Like, yeah, I keep up on things. Read the headlines. Like, oh my gosh, that's not keeping up on things. Like, definitely not going to work because you have to read the article to find out that it only passed in the House and read further down the article where it says it will never happen in the Senate because the House, like, because the Senate's never going to do it. Right. Well, because the Republicans would never intentionally vote. But that's why you can see, right? Because so the Democrats, are, it's very obvious. If you're a Democrat mm -hmm. and I'm hurting your feelings, I'm sorry. It's very obvious that the reason they want to, put in these states now, all of a sudden is because they're mostly blue. And so they're going blue and put in blue senators, control of the Senate and the house. That's why they want it. And let's remember that Washington DC belongs to the other states. So the, the number one biggest argument from Democrats that it should be a state is that you have unrepresented people. And my big, 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 big argument for that is Yes, you're right. They are not represented by the states that they reside in because Washington, D.C. is not considered a part of a state. But if you want that, you are fighting the wrong thing. I, as a person that is an independent from this perspective, would say that you could absolutely have a state that you vote in. And it has to be connected to the state that you live closest to from Washington. And then you get to have a vote in that state. That is the best you could hope for, for the country to say, now you have a vote at the state level. Yeah. That's right. it. So the that would be the moderate view that says you don't get two senators for a city where literally everyone lives in to pass right. laws. The, yeah, and then I think they actually the Supreme Court just um, struck down one of the initial ones where they, they went through the courts and sued based on that logic. And the Supreme Court said, well, everybody chose to live there. <laughs> they knew. Right. They, they can, can live, live anywhere, anywhere else. else. They, as they pointed out. Ever. You can there's live. no one stopping you, you can, from living DC's anywhere not else. that big. You can live right over the border. Right? It, you, That's yeah, right. It's, 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 it's so they're, true. They're not acting like they live in the middle of Wyoming and they have to drive to like Kansas. No. Oh, no. Yeah. There are no places to vote. How could we right. possibly do that? Or the, because obviously it's just so hard to yeah, get an ID. Of, oh, yeah. Days, all that. You know. But we can, we can go more mm -hmm. into stuff like that in the future. You know, what we really, uh, we, right. we're going to continue talking about this. We. Representation is a huge discussion as mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've touched on so many topics. We've honestly skimmed through so many different discussions that have happened in this country. That's why we spent the time reading today. That's why we, we, we have this series and it's because mm -hmm. the, every single word that we read from 
from James Madison, who's been dead for a very long time, is still completely relevant to what's going on today. Completely relevant. Absolutely. He didn't, he didn't say who was right or wrong. He said, here's the problem. Here's the way we've been solving it. And so that's, that's why we read that today. And that's why we talked about this. And so, um, we're going to continue talking about problems with representation. Um, we're going to continue with the rest of our series. And so we hope that you will join us for those as well. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow.